Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I'm Adam Diamond. Uh, I guess I can call myself half church planter, half church planter candidate. Uh, church planter candidate, I guess you could say, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. So you're still yes, a candidate uh, for it, but yeah. So uh, if you're listening, I have, and you don't follow my one mission. My wife and I have passed our send network assessment, so we are assessed, full, ready to go. But you know, we're we're not planting right away, so yeah, we've got more to go before we let you go. Oh, it's, it's always room for improvement. I'm not perfect. I might look perfect, but I'm not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's the first part. That's debatable too. <laughs> <laughs> so right away, this stuff to work on. Uh, so if you notice, this week I have Dave Drover with me. Yes. And <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, and I'm I, here. <laughs> and I also have Mr. Stephen Da himself. Yeehaw. Yeah. <laughs> Nice cowboy hat, Steve. I think we should have a vote. I'm not wearing a cowboy hat, bro. But no one, no one knows. Everybody gonna believe me or you? Well, obviously me, because I'm telling the truth. But mm. all right, and that's that's a good segue, actually, telling the truth. Um, so today we're going to talk about how do we interpret scripture. And this podcast is actually I was asked a question online, so this is a direct response to that of how we interpret scripture and how we can have some confidence, at least in. Um, our approach to Scripture and even our interpretation of Scripture. Uh, so, guys, before we get started, we should probably just start off, you know, a bit of Scripture itself. You know, how does it matter how we approach Scripture? Yes. Great. Why does it matter? <laughs> well, there's lots of different reasons as to why it would matter. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, and that's just as numerous as the ways you can approach Scripture. I mean, you could see the Scriptures as merely another book, you can see them as historical documents. Yep. You can see the scriptures as uh, the word of God. Well, that's that. That's the one I would actually hold. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there are people who would say that it's just an an expression of the experiences of godly people of the past mm-hmm. and what they experienced for God. Yep. Or with God, and those are all methods of approaching scripture. Of course, none of them are the way that I would say that an Orthodox evangelical Christian would approach Scripture. Mm -hmm. But those are other ways that people have done it. The one that would be would be, Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God might be prepared for every good work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's important to know what your position on that is, because that, well, it directly affects the interpretation and, and all the stuff that we'll get into, because, I mean, depending on who wrote it and what they wanted to communicate as they wrote it, that that makes a big deal for us as we try and figure out meaning and stuff like that. So I'm sure we'll all get into that in a few minutes. But Well, and, it, and, and of course, it'll also deal with the... Qu- you, you probably should set aside the authority level uh, in your head before you approach the scriptures mm-hmm. in some level because there is going to be in us the desire to, well, validate our own sinfulness. Yep. And a lot of times that's going to cause us to read the scriptures in ways or approach the scriptures in ways that will say, you know, like, well, I disagree with Paul on this, this point, and I'm obviously right. Yeah. And also the inerrancy thing, because right. it, I mean, we, again, our position would be that we believe that it doesn't contradict itself. So when we read something and might think that it seems like it's contradicting ourselves, we kind of try and figure out 
well, we don't think it actually is. So what is it actually saying? Right. Um, so what's wrong with uh, approaching Scripture not believing it's inerrant? Well, if it has errors, mm-hmm. we're always tempted to say that this one thing that I, I personally do not like at this point is an error. Mm-hmm. The, and I mean, the other thing is that, I mean, the fact that this is words, like God chose words to reveal himself, they say something. And if we don't believe it to be inerrant, that's going to change how we view what it's actually saying. Mm. Right? Because if, if, if we believe this is just a story of made up fairy tales, then we can read things and then not really consider the significance of it or what the authors meant or how it plays into the whole canon of scripture. We can isolate things. We can pull them out of context. Mm. There's just so many ways that we can muddy up the actual meaning that's there. Um, so if we don't believe that it's inerrant, it's very easy for us to then make that that leap of, well, I'm just not going to really care about that part, or it's not significant, or that's, you know, whatever. Right. Well, I mean, inerrant just means that we say it has no errors. Mm-hmm. It means that, ultimately speaking, if there is a disagreement with what it actually says, and it does actually say something, because that's presupposed in the idea of it being inerrant, mm-hmm. The things that it intends to say are necessarily correct. And if we disagree with those things, well, we're wrong. And we need to, again, look at the interpretation to make sure that it in fact does say that thing. So if it's inerrant, I would assume that, uh, I mean, if it wasn't inerrant, um, then I would assume that if I go to Scripture and um, I see Paul say, you know, for instance, that I should, you know, cherish my wife you know, love her as Christ loved the church. And I'm like, oh, no, my wife kind of ticks me off sometimes. She, did, You know, we have a great marriage, but just for argument's sake, <laughs> I don't think I'm really going to follow that one. I mean, I think this is going to be one of those errors, and, um, you know, the Bible has mistakes, so there's no real reason to maybe even believe that it has authoritative control over my life or that it has any authority over my life. Well, and I mean, that's going to be uh, for even more controversial things, like uh, the question of whether or not Paul was telling the truth when he said that, uh, I, I don't know. I would not. Uh, I would prefer that uh, a woman not be in teaching over a man. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's going to be a question. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, there are differences of ways to interpret that passage mm-hmm. m- that are multiply inerrant. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, that's a controversial statement. Yeah, a- and for specific, I mean, for all of them. But you know, in these scenarios too, we we need to interpret. The reason why it's important for us to interpret it in the first place is again going back to what are this is not only Paul's word, but it's also God's word, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So we're, we're literally reading what God has chosen to reveal to his people and, right. and to us. So there's a significance of divine authority behind these words. And th- then, you know, therefore we should actually take them seriously and try and figure out what, what they mean and do that yeah. accurately, not just kind of passively or well, I mean, that's, dismissively. That, that kind of explains, that's kind of assuming, you know, tracking back from the actual argument for why most Orthodox Christians are going to say that the Bible is inerrant. The fact is, we believe that the Bible is literally breathed out by God. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, you know, it's been, it uses human authors, mm-hmm. they, these are things, but all Scripture is God-breathed, uh, and theonistos. So if it is God-breathed, well then, God doesn't lie. So... I yep. mean, whatever that's, God said is probably without error. That's and, one of the things God yeah. can't do. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so, uh, Dave, you brought up a good point, you know, to get to the you know meaning of the passage. So, 
Um, obviously, the Bible wasn't originally written in our English language. Um, it wasn't written, mm-hmm. you know, so we can go to the original text and we can be like, oh, I can read it plain as day. This is, you know, this is what it's saying. Um, so how can we be certain that, you know, how we approach Scripture, that, you know, the interpretation that we're coming to or that scholars are coming to um, is is trustworthy? That's a very good question. I would say check the reasoning like we do with anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I come over to you and say, I don't know, uh, my name is Steve. If you have reason to disbelieve me, you have every right to ask for identification. And if I show you the identification, well, then I guess you kind of have to say I'm Steve. Can you doubt the identification? Sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the evidence isn't there as, as much. The same thing runs with scripture and with anything that an academic says, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is one of the a pet peeve about culture generally. I mean, we don't have to simply accept whatever uh, a, a, an expert says, but nor do we near have to merely dis, dismiss whatever somebody else says. Mm-hmm. We grade people's statements based on whether they seem to accord with the truth. Mm-hmm. And that'll include like when when a scholar comes to me and says, well, this is a, a culturally conditioned part of scripture. Well, then, okay, well, give me the argument and I'll, I'll, I'll see what it says uh, and, and, and examine whether or not, in fact, you're saying, telling me the truth. Yeah, so it's uh, it's not like I'm approaching Scripture thinking it's going to be untrustworthy right from the start. You know, like this interpretation I have in front of me, I'm not going to it thinking, yeah, there's definitely mistakes in this. Uh, this is There's going to be lies here somewhere, so I need to be on my guard. I mean, right. that's not a natural thing people do. Though, I mean, it, it was not a natural thing people should do with anything. I mean, we naturally would assume... You normally assume people are telling the truth unless you have reason to believe they're lying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess that's that's probably maybe a good point to highlight as well. I mean, we we do this all the time because I mean, in some ways, when when we're reading, we're or when somebody writes something, mm-hmm. it's a form of communication, right? Just in the same way that we are speaking now to our audience, mm-hmm. um, or how somebody preaches, or you have conversations, or or whatever, people. Like, you know, these authors and, and God inspired wrote this to communicate stuff to us. And, mm-hmm. and there's meaning. Um, but, you know, as people who preach, as, as, as men who preach, uh, we, we do a fair bit of study. And, you know, we're, we're trusting to an extent what these scholars are saying to us, um, what, what we're reading you know, ourselves in our own study, what we're able to manage to do with our uh, limited knowledge of the original languages. None of us are scholars in Greek or Hebrew. Um, but again, how can we be sure that there is something to gain that we're not all just making mistakes? Well, I mean, if that that's gonna that's a question of your credulity, not a question of the text itself. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact is, can you be doubting of everything? Sure, you can. I know of people who who doubt whether or not there is reality uh, outside of their own head. It's not going to get you very far. No, mm-hmm. but it's is it re, is it possible to believe that? Sure, it's possible to believe your head is a poached egg. But <laughs> it might okay. Listen, my head might look like a poached egg. Okay, but I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to comment. Brother. Wasn't, wasn't going to comment. But again, the question is: I mean, this is this gets to another one of the problems that enters into a lot of these discussions mm-hmm. about the veracity of scripture. So often people are just going to are going to use this kind of sliding scale about what is acceptable and uh, to believe, what is acceptable to use. Mm-hmm. Usually, when people say, 
Well, there's no actual real meaning in the text, which, by the way, is a real position people actually hold about Scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just uh, they've come take the postmodern view that it's all about how you interpret the text, not the, what the text actually says. Mm-hmm. That, 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 of course, is an idea, but let's face it, that's not the one that most people would, would come to. And if I read them like that, if mm. I read that other person like that, they'd be a little bit insulted that I read that I was discounting their own viewpoints based on. Yeah. So if if I were to have a conversation with you, Dave, mm-hmm. and you know you say I love Leanne, and I was like, mm, I think he means that you know he loves Leanne, but not as much as that he loves coffee. Or and, interpret that as saying that in fact he hates Leanne. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. you know. But then if that's my interpretation, like you have no real meaning yourself, I interpret all of your words myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume that would make you fairly upset if I started to go around telling people then that you hate your wife mm-hmm. and that you told me that directly. Yep. And this is that's a great point because, I mean, as Steve said, there are a lot of people who actually read Scripture that way. Mm. Um, but, of course, that's wrong because when we look at what it is, again, the fact that there is actually meaning, the way that we should approach Scripture Mm-hmm. is essentially to uncover the meaning that both the author intended and the meaning that they... Because they, they carefully chose these words. Right. This wasn't just random ramblings. They chose specific content mm-hmm. to include yep. for a purpose with the meaning. So our job to interpret that is to figure out what that meaning is. It isn't just for us to make it up as we go. That's well, not our position. Our position is to interpret the text, to figure out what it's saying... Yeah. Now, to find its meaning. Now, to be honest, I am never going to enter Paul's head. I am never going to be no. Luke. No. So I can't, you know, say that, well, I have an un, 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 undoubtable uh, understanding of what the text says. Mm-hmm. But so, I can have an accurate one without actually knowing that I'm completely and absolutely mm-hmm. infallibly correct. Mm-hmm. And, and there is something to be said here, too, I think, because, yes... 100%. We do not have the physical authors of Paul or Peter mm-hmm. or Mark or Luke or whoever. But if we do believe with what we have already said about the fact that these are God-inspired words, that's part of the role of the Spirit is to help us understand the Scripture. So in on another hand, we might not have the physical authors, but we do have the divine author who helps us to understand right. What's here? What he's telling us. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can have, I think, a bit of confidence in our reading of Scripture, um, and that's not necessarily only a self confidence, but as the church, as people who go to read it faithfully. So just to enunci- enunciate, then there's a couple. Uh, the question was, how can we be sure of, that what we're of what we're reading in yep. Scripture? There's a couple of reasons, uh, ways. First of all, uh, there is the fact that you know there are people who actually spend an awful lot of time trying to understand this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can ourselves check if those people are in fact matching what the text what the text actually seems to be saying. Yep. Uh, we have the Spirit of God in us to reaffirm all of the things mm-hmm. that are going uh, that are going on here. And while yes, we can be mistaken, and while the church can and and has in times mm-hmm. past been mistaken. Yep. They're mistaken because there's an actual truth that they were mistaken about. So, you know, you can actually come to a better understanding. And there's also like uh, some sort of, like, not some sort of, but some textual criticism where, you know, these scholars are lining up like uses of biblical words with uses of those words outside of Scripture. So we have some general idea of how these words were originally used. Yeah, I mean, there there are ways that we interpret Scripture well, there are ways that we like. There are methods to uncovering mm-hmm. the meaning of scripture 
accurate more accurately than others and i think that's part of the kind of encompassed right. in what steve was just saying you know there are people who spend a lot of time taking the careful consideration of the historical the socio-economical context of these verses these passages there are people who know the oh, greek and the hebrew far better than we'll ever know yep. who have spent their lives unpacking verses can they um, be wrong yes. yes is it likely no, not as much <laughs> and is it likely that i'm going to be the one who's going to come up with the reason that they're wrong not so much. Mm -hmm. And and again, right, I mean, I, I love that because they can be wrong. Like even with commentators, I mean, we, we read commentators and prepping for scripture and stuff like that. And my, um, sorry, for prepping for preaching and things like that. But even my Old Testament prof, one, one way he put it was commentators are kind of like just other people that you can run stuff off of. Right. Um, now, they're, the benefit is that they're very, very smart people, but they're still people. Right. And they can be wrong. But I mean... And of course, I don't want to under, underscore or undersell the amount of scholarship that generally goes into mm -hmm. what you're dealing with with Scripture. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, for, at the first level, people will say, well, we don't actually have the original manuscripts. I actually heard that statement today. Yep. Mm -hmm. That's true. We don't actually have the original manuscripts. What we do have is thousands upon thousands of segments of Scripture that... Uh, people with PhDs sit around and try and collate all of the differences and figure out which differences are more likely to be the accurate mm -hmm. one from the beginning. I mean, if you want to get the, for example, the Center for the New Testament uh, uh, textual criticism uh, full apparatus, it's like 27,000 pages long, just listing all of the specific instances where there is any difference whatsoever mm -hmm. from you know the a yoda subscript missing or there or a space in the wrong place or words inverted mm -hmm. they, there are people who go into that for their entire lives yep that's and that's a different group of people than go into all of the linguistic questions as to how to understand first century koine greek yep mm -hmm. And, and just to jump in here, too, this is a little bit of a, a squirrel moment, maybe, but just in case there's somebody listening right now, like, we don't want to scare people and, and make them think, you know, wow, like, how am I supposed to read my Bible if, like, mm -hmm. like I need all of the, I need to know the Greek <laughs> and the Hebrew. Like, this is... No, you don't. But exactly. Because that's... Uh, I, I remember the... Uh, I use this example a lot of times. There's a famous biblical scholar who is, in fact, himself an agnostic, uh, Bart Ehrman. Uh, but he is a brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, he was on an atheist podcast where they were asking him, well, wouldn't it be great if we had, you know, the, 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 the sum total of all of the scholarly work of textual critics and linguistic critics, and we printed that in a Bible, and, you know, you could buy it at your bookstore. And the good news is, you can! Ta-da! <laughs> Any modern translation of your Bible is that. But, but even a little, like, a step further, because, I mean, obviously it's great to have those resources, but if you're just sitting down doing your own personal Bible But I'm, I'm just study, telling you that that resource is your Bible. And which which yes, is amazing. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, yes. Sorry, I misunderstood open, you. Open an ESV. Open uh, mm -hmm. an NIV, uh, NIV. That is the capstone of tens of thousands of hours of work by... Yes. Tons and tons of scholars. Your Bible, is, you don't need to know all of this stuff. The result of their work is in front of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's so much work that goes into translation and stuff right. like that. And 
Sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you were referencing something. I thought you were referencing study Bibles, not just the text. Nope, that's um, actually just... The, and it added to that... There's study Bibles, yeah. Yeah. Mm, study Bibles, great resource, great resource. But even so, even when you open up your ESV or your CSB, when we're talking about... I mean, we, we've mentioned the things like reading, you know, original Hebrew and original Greek and, and textual criticism. We've mentioned a lot of bigger things, but when we're also talking about Bible interpretation, I mean, the smaller things are also some of the biggest things you can do to... As well, that you can do to interpret the Bible well as well, right? Things like just observing the passage, yeah, right? Like, what does it actually say? Right. You know, what did Jesus specifically do? Not, not what do I think he did, but what does it say that he did specifically? Then asking questions about that. Th- little things like making some observations, then asking questions about it. You know, maybe going to your study Bible just to see if there's a little note about some Jewish festival or something we might not know of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those little things are huge when it comes to what is this saying? Just little tips like that, observing, well, questioning. When, when I mean, when we train people to read Bible, and I mean, when we do Bible studies here at Calvary, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, I'm an elder at Calvary, in case you didn't uh, didn't get that, uh, we, we teach you to observe it, to interpret it, and then mm-hmm. apply it. Mm-hmm. And of course... Ob- uh, there's a couple of things that people find surprising about the way you do that. The observation section is literally, you look at the text and you see what does it actually mm-hmm. say. And the reason we do that is because the text is where the meaning is. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and we want to know what the meaning actually is. And so you mm-hmm. observe it. But I mean, the, the one that most people I've, I've run into find surprising as, you know, we are very conservative from the, you know, theological standpoint of Newfoundland. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, when, then go to the questions of interpretation. And all questions are fair game. Mm-hmm. Yes. You must, and don't hide the questions. Don't pretend you don't have the questions. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ask the questions. And don't assume your questions. Because so easy. I, that was one thing as I was kind of learning about all this for the first time was like ask every question that pops in your head, even if you think you know the answer, even right. if you think it sounds simple, because the one time that you actually don't know what it's saying or you're assuming the wrong thing, it can be a pretty big deal in terms of what the passage is saying. Right. Um, little things like he went to X place. Yeah. Well, why did he go to that place, or or why did he go there now? Like you, just little questions that you might assume, or who is they? Yeah, who is going? Is it twelve? Is it just? Is it a whole group? Those yeah. little things can make a big difference. And, I mean, I can give you the example when I was uh, much when I was about your age, uh, dealing with you know biblical studies issues. I had a discussion with somebody after you know going through Genesis chapter two and three, talking about you know the fall into sin, and one of them was to figure out where. Adam was at the time that Eve was, you know, eating mm-hmm. the, eating the, uh, eating the fruit. Yep. And it changes your interpretation to realize that little phrase that it says there, who was with her. Yeah. When I first heard that, that blew my mind. I mean, that was a number of years ago now, but I remember hearing and I was like, mm-hmm. holy, you know what? Like, yeah. I was like, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't step up. He didn't stop it. He didn't. Yeah. And that changes the story. Right. Completely. It wasn't a situation where Eve was tricking him into, you know, eating something that he didn't know was from the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. He was right there. Mm-hmm. He heard the whole thing. Or, or even another thing that's that can be really helpful too. This is probably maybe more so the observation side, but picking up on every little detail that the author includes that doesn't seem like it 
necessarily needs to be there. Mm. Yeah. For instance, like the woman at the well, you know, a the, the author includes she's a Samaritan woman, which mm-hmm. adds massive context on what that whole dynamic would be like between a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman. But then also, the time of day that she was there. Absolutely. That wasn't yeah. some random like. John was like, yeah, I think it was about noon by. Um, no, the fact that it was at that time of the day is a specific detail included to let us know that yeah. she basically didn't have friends. That's why she would have gone. That wasn't the typical time well, you'd go to the well. And I mean, that's going to be an interpretive thing based on, Absolutely. The, based on the facts. But I mean, the, fa- the facts do actually affect your un- understanding. But if you don't observe it at all, you're never going to get to the meaning. Absolutely. Right? You're never going to get there. So that's why it's so important to go through these as, as we're kind of, I guess, quote-unquote, good interpretive you know, yeah. mm-hmm. All right, guys, so uh, we, we should approach Scripture you know, as, an, as authoritative, as actually God-breathed, that it actually has truth to communicate to us, not us to read into Scripture. Right. Um, there are multiple tools, as you said, we, to use. We have very good reason to trust we scholars. We haven't gotten into even half the tools of it. No, no. right? No. Um, but there are obviously wrong ways to read Scripture. We briefly touched on it. I mean, you can read the whole thing as allegory. You can say that it's not God-inspired at all. You can say it's a book of fairy tales, yep. and those will give, lead you to wrong conclusions about what Scripture is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are definitely some areas in Scripture, um, as you mentioned before, maybe a bit like wives submit or you know, women learn quietly or submissively. Um, how do we approach different interpretations of Scripture on these texts, and also even interpretations of Scripture that we think may be downright wrong or even heretical? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's there's a few different levels. Um, so for me, if I'm if I'm approaching a conversation with somebody, we have two different positions on a text. One thing that I will weigh heavily is whether or not the other person has done their proper study mm-hmm. and how they're coming to the conclusion. Like, what are the steps? Did they do their observations? Did they look at the original languages? Did they, you know, consult others? Did they go to commentaries? What are the steps that they took to get to where they are? And is it a good and value, like valuable interpretation? Mm-hmm. Um, because if, if it's not, if they just said, well, I, I skimmed it, um, but I'm convinced because that makes me, this makes me feel better. Yeah. There's, there's a lot less weight to that argument um, because again, it's just not an accurate way of deciphering the meaning of the text. Yep, yep. You're you're not you're not really diving in deep to figure out what the meaning is, and that's just the way communication right. and language and reading and books work. And of um, course, it's going to be a lot of just asking what the argument is for the understandings behind it. Mm-hmm. Like there are reasons that I have the conclusion that I come to the conclusions that I do. Sometimes they're thought out. Sometimes they're not so thought out. But we can actually compare those and come to some conclusion. I mean, one of the problems is going to be we're going to first have to decide what we believe the Scripture is. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Because if we don't think that the Scripture, first of all, has its own meaning, and second of all, has some authoritative meaning for us, well, I mean... Impossible really to have any real conversation from that point, because you're in two different worlds. Yeah, because spot. I'm actually coming at it from the perspective that it has a meaning that is, in fact, incumbent on me to believe, mm-hmm. and the other person is just saying that it doesn't actually have a meaning. Which means both your arguments are already meaningless right? from the other person's perspective. right? Um, but in the case that I think you know, they actually do have their reasons, and, and they're well thought out, and they've been you know, yep. biblically interpreted well, because there mm-hmm. are issues like that, yep. where I think then it's important to A, consider 
other parts. So actually, I mean, I would say part of the interpretive process is also considering how a passage fits in the in the the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book, the rest of the section of the book, the rest of the Bible, the rest of the Testament, you know, mm -hmm. basically how does it fit in the, the bigger picture? The grand scheme of scripture, yeah. So for instance, then if, if they seem to be doing their interpretation of that text right, the next question we will, how does it, how does it fit in with the rest of it? For instance, if they come to a really weird understanding of um, Jesus being born, and then somebody says, well, Jesus was a fully man and he was just a man. And I could say, well, well, no, we see in other places, you know, he's God and, and then go like, yep. you need to have, you need to kind of compare it with the overall scope as well. Mm -hmm. um, right. And that's where sometimes, you know, we can get a little bit, I don't, I don't like the word too text focused, but we do need to be cognizant that there's well, a bigger thing going I'm on. I'm going to point out that there is actually a, a type of way of reading the scripture that is con called conservative that I would actually say is probably not actually very useful. Uh, there's kind of, there's a kind of rampant biblicism that would just say, I believe whatever my Bible says, and then I'm going to take a few texts and just throw that out there mm. as if there aren't other texts and if there haven't as if there haven't been brothers and sisters in Christ for centuries who have been reading the scriptures and coming to conclusions about it. Uh, it's it, that kind of biblicism. I'd actually say is probably just as problematic as some of the more uh, mm -hmm. extreme forms of postmodernism. Because the fact is, uh, I can take an individual text of Scripture and read it in such a way as it I, I, it might be very fulfilling for me. It might even be accurate to, it, at least if I only count it in this section, accurate to that little section. Mm -hmm. But it's not accurate generally. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I come to you know examples of, say, for example, God changing his mind. Uh, that is, that, you know, I, uh, God repented of... Uh, making humanity just before Noah was Noah destroyed. Yeah, the, and I was reading in Jeremiah where God says um, to one of the kings, you know, um, I thought that after Israel had gone away for so long, they would turn around, turn back to me, but that wasn't the case. Right. Right. I mean, that's right there yeah. in, in scripture. And of course, the question then is going to be, does that actually mean that God, it doesn't know what's going to happen or mm -hmm. that he, and I'd have to say probably not look at the rest of scripture. Mm -hmm. And, and just to add on to that, Steve, to a helpful thing I think for us to consider when we're looking kind of at a, at a larger scope is it's sometimes tempting for us to take the unclear and make that the rule instead of taking the clear and going with the clear. So for, for so just to kind of unpack that a little bit, say there are nine, there are 10 instances where it talks about God knowing stuff. Now, this isn't actually true. It's just an example. But say there are 10 instances in the Bible that talk about God knowing stuff. Mm -hmm. If okay. nine of them say God knows all things, and, and that's pretty clear. Yep. And then that one where God says, I thought this, I thought they would turn back to me. If there's, if it's nine to one, you, you probably want to venture more towards the nine. And again, where we know that scripture is right. inerrant, that there is not error, right. that's what we believe. Then we go back to the 10th the one, the one that seems a little off and say, okay, so what is this really saying? Is there something I'm missing? Right. Go back to your observations, go back to your questions, go back to looking at the chapter, the and of well, course, this goes to another point of when when we're interpreting scripture. Scripture has different genres. Yes, like an apocalyptic writer like uh, Jeremiah is going to write something differently than, say, a songwriter like Psalms is mm -hmm. going to write something, mm -hmm. which is different from a history, which is which you're going to see in, say, the Gospels. Which means the way that we interpret those books, and also the way that those books communicate their meaning, are going to be different. For instance, we read poetry 
and, and look for different things in poetry to understand what they mean versus mm-hmm. hearing a podcast. And, I, and I'm it's hearing, and, and, and I have to say, I'd, I'd hear uh, myself in my less than Christian years respond with, well, yeah, that's just ad hoc ways of reading scripture to try and make it make sense. But no, this is the way we generally read books. Mm-hmm. Like, if I read, if I pick up, uh, I don't know, uh, a good allegorical novel, like something by George Orwell, and I read it uh, as if it's just, you know, a his- historical fact, well, I'm, I'm going to misunderstand what Animal Farm is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, if I pick up it is saying things. It is saying historically accurate things, but it's not saying them in the way that, you know, say, for example, a history textbook would. Um, mm-hmm. if, if you're reading poetry and it's filled with these beautiful metaphors and, and similes and symbolism, but you read it completely literally as if you were reading a historical book and not figurative yeah. poetry, and means, you know, you're going to think, wow, the wave actually was as big as the Empire State Building. Like, or the woman in Song of Solomon really did have a note, like a, 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 a neck like a tower, hair like goats, yeah, eyes like... One strange-looking yeah, woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm sure most of us have seen that picture of what she would actually look like. But that, that's a case of taking that completely literally when it's obviously... Yeah. That's obvious allegory, you know, etc. And again, when the authors wrote this stuff... Mm-hmm there's a reason they wrote it in the way they did. There's a right. reason that David wrote the Psalms often in, well, not often, the reason that the Psalms were written as songs and in poetry and they use figure. There's a reason the gospels are written the way that they are. There's a reason that the letters are written as they are. Absolutely. Because that's the way that the author intended them to be communicated. And But then again, it, it's going to add something to our interpretation. Yes. Because then we're going to have to interpret it to get to what exactly it is trying to say. And we're going to have to try and learn the different nuances and and tools to help us interpret that stuff. Right. For instance, parallelisms for poetry versus, you know, a lot more logical flow. Yeah, anyways. And of course, yeah. this is going to be for more of the uh, esoteric stuff. I mean, the basic stuff is pretty easy to tell. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He means it. Yep. Yep. Um, All right, guys, we're, we're coming up here on our time here, but uh, for anyone listening, I hope this conversation has been good for you. I mean, we don't claim to have a complete, absolute monopoly on how all of Scripture should be interpreted, um, interpreted, no. sorry, interpreted. interpreted. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there are, you know, rooms for us to have grace with one another, brothers and sisters, but there are also mm-hmm. wrong ways to interpret Scripture. Absolutely. I guess, sorry, just before we conclude, I guess to kind of answer that question, how do we approach conversations where they're coming at a different conclusion than mm-hmm. we are. I guess the goal for us should always be let's actually go into the text together yeah, and let's see what the meaning is. And as we go to try and figure out what the meaning is together, lay our precept. Well, we can't completely do it, but let's take the proper interpretive tools. Let's look at it with a fresh look mm-hmm. and see where it actually leads us. Um, and at least be cognizant of our presuppositions if yes. we can't set them aside. Yeah. Amen, brothers. Well, guys, thank you. This is a great conversation. Um, if you're listening, again, I hope this has been a great blessing to you. Let us know always if you want to talk about anything that we talked about. If you'd like to hear more about it, feel free to reach out to us. In the meantime, catch us again next week. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.